you are great. You are the great God. We're reminded of that tonight as we see how you came into the holy city, the city of Jerusalem, Jesus. And you defied everyone's expectations to do what was right for us, what we needed. When we did not even know it, when we could not perceive it, you still did what was right for us at the cost of your very life. We are grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, tonight we're going to get to go through John 12, 12 to 19. We're going to do a short passage tonight, just the triumphal entry of Jesus. And you know, this weekend I did a wedding. I went to, to Portland to do a wedding, and I was thinking about the expectation of that, the expectation of what you expect the wedding to be like. And all of COVID and all the masking and everything, it just affects your expectation, doesn't it? And despite that, despite the fact that they had planned this well in advance and had to push the date, and uh, you know it wasn't perfect, only the family could come, they had plenty of guests, and, and not all of them could come anymore because of the restrictions, it was beautiful. And the expectations were met of a wonderful ceremony that God was present, bringing two flesh to become one flesh. It was a great time. But there were still expectations. And I thought about that as I thought about this passage tonight. And unlike that beautiful wedding this weekend, their expectations are not met in Jesus. In fact, their expectations of what Jesus will do, Jesus defies. And he makes a point to go against what the people expect. That's what we find in John 12 this evening. Starting in verse 12, it says this, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, these crowds probably have come from all over. Remember, this is Passover. Passover is here. Jesus' final Passover. And the crowds have come. Passover is one of the feasts that all the Jewish people are supposed to come to Jerusalem and attend. And so you probably have people from all over Galilee as well who knew of Jesus, who, who in fact probably had been more acquainted with Jesus' miracles and signs, right? Because that is where Jesus did most of his ministry. In the Gospel of John, we see a lot more what Jesus does in Jerusalem, but actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see a lot more of Jesus in Galilee. And so these people probably knew of Jesus, and they probably had some expectations of him. And so these people, these crowds that had come for Passover, they knew Jesus was coming in. And in fact, some of the crowd, it, it says, comes from Jerusalem. And later on, we'll read, some of them followed, right? The people who had seen Lazarus were at that banquet we talked about. They knew Jesus was coming in. So there's these crowds around Jesus. What's interesting about the palm branches is, we you know, we always refer uh, to Palm Sunday, right? Palms are not actually associated with Passover normally. 
Palms are commanded to be waved in the Old Testament at the Feast of Tabernacles. But the palm branch had become so associated with the nation, it was really a national symbol. When the Maccabees kicked the Romans out of Jerusalem for a period of time, in fact, they made their own coinage, right? They had to have their own currency. And on their coins, they put the palm branch. It had become a national symbol for them. It had become something to rally around. And it really spoke to their nationalism. That this is a symbol of who we are as a people. And so this waving of the palm branch really superseded the Feast of Tabernacles and really just became this, this acclamation piece, right? They, they acclaim Jesus by waving palm branches, even though it's Passover, not the Feast of Tabernacles. But they cry something very interesting, and this is also related to the Feast of Tabernacles. Psalm 113 to 118 is called the Hallel, right? The Hallel, the praise. And these five psalms... 113, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 6 psalms, excuse me. I was doing the math, but there's always the one extra just there. Okay, so those six psalms were always proclaimed at the Feast of Tabernacles. They were read in the temple every morning of the week of the Feast of Tabernacles. So these psalms were very well known. They were praise to God. And what they're quoting is from Psalm 118. That's the background the background of Hosanna. Hosanna is a Greek transliteration. It's, it's taking a Hebrew word and just putting it into Greek lettering. And what it, it says is, it's actually Hoshiana. Hoshiana is the Hebrew. And what it says is, save us, please. Save, please. And when you go to Psalm 118 in verse 25 you find that that is where this passage is, where they're saying, save us. In Psalm 118, verse 25, let me open there. Psalm 118, verse 25 says, O Lord, do save. That's Hoshiahna. Do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Right? This is a choir psalm. They're actually singing over the pilgrims as they enter. From the temple, the, the choir of Jerusalem sings over the pilgrims as they're coming into Jerusalem. Right? They're saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We are blessing you as you come into the city. And of course, that takes on more significance with Jesus, doesn't it? The one who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus does that uniquely, doesn't he? In fact, his name is the Lord. The Lord saves. Yahweh saves. That's Jesus' name. And so... There's all this expectation. They're saying, save us. And the thing is, with the word save, we, we kind of have our own, our own understanding of that word, don't we? We've loaded it with thousands of years of weight of understanding Jesus as the Savior. 
And what we mean when we say save or salvation or savior, we always talk about the spiritual side of things. So that's what we're thinking of. When we say save us, we, we think of that spiritual salvation, that eternal salvation. When actually the word yasha, which is where that word comes from in Hebrew, it just means to save is to deliver. It's the word you find in the judges over and over again that, Lord, deliver us, right, from physical oppression. Whenever the Moabites would come or the Edomites would come and they would dominate Israel, the Lord would send someone to yasha them, to deliver them, to save them. It's a, it's a deeply physical word about deliverance from oppressors. And of course, when we look back in history, we see the spiritual side of things because we know what Jesus has done for us. But these crowds are not saying that. And they would not have understood it that way. What are they saying? They're saying, deliver us. Deliver us from the Romans, Jesus. Hosanna, save us now. Save us now, Jesus. You are the King of Israel. And again, that, that irony that's so often in John, we see here too, right? Because they're correct, aren't they? He is the King of Israel. They speak rightly about him. He is the King of Israel. But what does the King of Israel do in their minds? He frees them from the Romans. His job is to deliver them from the Romans as the King of Israel. And so they say, do it now, Jesus. Save us. Hosanna. And Jesus responds with a symbol. A symbol. It says Jesus, it says this in verse 14, Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. The background to that verse is Zechariah 9.9. 9. It comes out of Zechariah 9, verse 9. And here's the thing. When they expect Jesus to deliver them now from the Romans, that's their thought. They quote Psalm, the Psalm to him and say, Deliver us. Wage war for us is really what they're saying, right? Free us. Deliver us. Kick out the Romans. Defeat these evil Gentile armies that are oppressing us. And Jesus responds with Zechariah 9.9, and one of the things you have to know when you quote, when you see quotes in the New Testament from the Old Testament, they're not just about the one verse. They're actually about the context of the quote, right? They're about what happens in the quote around uh, the specific verses they're quoting. So when you read Zechariah 9, 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And when you just read that, it's like, okay, they get it. The, he's the king of Israel. That's what they're proclaiming. But how does Jesus' symbol of riding on the donkey 
respond to the deliverance? How does it respond to that? Well, you got to keep reading. What's Zechariah 9.10? I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off. And he, the coming king, will speak peace to the nations. And his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Why does Jesus ride the donkey in response to Hoshiana? Because they expect him to deliver. And Jesus says, I'm not that Messiah. My reign is a reign of peace and the bow of war will be cut off. See, they don't understand that Jesus did not come for that deliverance that makes sense of the word in Hebrew. But for what we've come to understand it now, thousands of years later, Jesus says, I'm not here to free you from the Romans. My reign is a reign of peace. And I will bring you true deliverance, true salvation. And I will show you that I'm not the Messiah you think I am by riding on a donkey. Because Jesus knew when he did that symbolic act that he was recalling Zechariah 9. The peaceful king. The peaceful king of Israel. The one who would come and bring peace to the nations. Jesus rejects their interpretation of Messiah. And that is a sign to us. That Jesus has rejected their interpretation is a sign to us that Jesus' life is drawing to a close because he is not fulfilling their expectations. In fact, he defies them. They come out crying for a deliverer. And Jesus says, I am the peaceful king of Israel. And you may call me the king of Israel, but you do not understand what that means. Verse 16. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. I think that confirms that interpretation, right? They see the king of Israel. In fact, they probably think the same thing. The disciples probably think exactly like the crowds. Jesus is coming in and he's going to do business. He's going to come in and whip these Romans out of here. They didn't understand the weight of the symbol that Jesus showed them. But once he had died, and once he had resurrected, and he poured out his spirit, the disciples understood. They understood the meaning of the donkey. The peaceful king, one who would not come to kick out the Romans, but who would come to bring spiritual salvation, the king of Israel. And this is a special event, and we know it's a special event because all four Gospels record it. Again, a sign that something isn't very important. Very few events are recorded in all four Gospels. This is one of them. The triumphal entry. 
verse 17. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. They're good disciples. That's what good disciples do. They testify about who Jesus is and what he has done. They're good disciples. And so they've seen this sign of Jesus, the raising of Lazarus, and they continue to testify about him, which is exactly what they should be doing. Testifying about what Jesus has done. And yet... We know that notoriety is going to cost Jesus his life, isn't it? It seems like the more famous he gets, the more expectations he doesn't live up to for what people want him to do. It says, For this reason also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. Lazarus has stirred up all of this intense interest. Wow, this man who raises people from the dead, surely he is the one who will deliver us. And as the Pharisees see this, they say to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. What are they saying? They're saying... Everyone is turning to him. Our plan has not succeeded. We, we have to redouble our efforts if we're going to kill this man before we lose our place and our nation, is what they said last week. We've got to kill him. We cannot let this go on. And of course, still the irony is there. The Pharisees say to one another, we're not doing any good. They speak truer than they know. They're actually not doing good, are they? They're doing the opposite of good. They're conspiring to kill the Lord of glory, Jesus. And so we're left there. We're left there with Jesus being celebrated and that celebration actually culminates in his death. The one who everyone was so convinced would come and save us. Is the one they, in just one night's time, will say, he's not the Messiah we thought he was. Crucify him. Crucify him. He is not the king we wanted. But we know, we believers know that that triumphal entry, that entry of Jesus into Jerusalem spoke true about him. He is the king of Israel. And like Zechariah 9.10 said, his dominion will stretch from river to river to the ends of the earth. We know that when they said, Hosanna, save us, he did. He did save them. He did pay for their sin, even the very sin of crucifying him. They, he, Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid for the sin that cost him his own life. And maybe these same people who cried Hosanna on this day found salvation 
years later, maybe days later, when Jesus had returned, or when the church continued to testify like those people around Lazarus, they heard the word and found out that the one they thought would deliver them from the Romans actually delivered them from something far greater and far more sinister than the oppression of a foreign nation, but the oppression of our very own dark souls, the oppression of our world that can be so evil, the oppression of the devil who has aligned himself against God and all his creatures. But tonight, I figured with this short passage, it would be good for us to celebrate, to enjoy each other's company and, and remind each other that, that this celebration is important. That Jesus, though, had we been in the same position, we probably would have been saying the same things. Would have had the same expectations. We, who are privileged enough to live all these years later and know Jesus and what he did in the church know that Jesus is worth celebrating that they were right to praise him and cry out for salvation they were right to call him the king of Israel and so with this short sermon tonight that would be fun for us to spend time together play a game, have fun so that's what we will do as I close let me bless you and then we'll, we'll be done. Heavenly Father, thank you for this group here tonight. Lord, thank you that you are our Hosanna cry. You are the answer to the cry of every human soul that needs deliverance. And we, we don't even know what from sometimes. And yet for many of us, it's very clear what we need, whether it's drug addiction, an oppressor, or family sometimes, or, or from any of the evils of this world we've become enslaved to. We know you are the answer to that cry in every human heart. Save me. Save us. You're the answer, Jesus. And so I pray again tonight that we would look to you for deliverance, whatever we need deliverance from this evening. Would you deliver us in the way only you can, in the way that you promised to, in the way that you were willing to die, pay for our sins, and rise to life again to give us new life. Would you deliver us in that way again? We need you again tonight, Jesus. Help us to have a great time together. Help us to enjoy community. And we're just thankful. Thankful you're with us. Thankful that you always walk alongside us. Thankful you were willing to let a crowd praise you with misunderstood expectation, knowing that days from then and, and hours from then, they would be the same people to turn and ask for your death. Lord, let us stand convinced of who you are, convinced of what you've done. And like those people who were with you at Lazarus' tomb, may we continue to testify about who you are and what you have done for us. 
what you have done for the world, the world that hated you, what you did for them. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.